0: Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today, I'm sitting here with a special guest. As you've noticed, this is a special show because Ed Davis is with us. Hey, Ed.
1: Very pleased to be here.
0: All right, guys. I got to tell y'all a little bit about Ed. So this is going to be such a wonderful experience for me because, one, I love story. I love Just soak it in author experience, and Ed, I'm sure you've got a ton to talk about, so let me jump right into his bio, guys, and then we're going to turn it over to Ed. So the constraints of the past year and a half have stirred up feelings of wanderlust for many, but before the current boom in van life and nomadic living, Northern California author and Missouri native Ed Davis rode the rails. Hopping boxcars and freight trains from Reno to Vancouver through the Sierras and up and down the Golden State. As a young man, he lived on $5 a day, working as a carny and sleeping under the same bridge Koryak once did. He and his friends, the Knights of the Road, experienced a world that no longer exists. An Instagram life before there was ever such a thing. These tracks across the country eventually led Ed to become a successful businessman, a champion discus thrower, and a loving husband to his wife, Jan. Special shout out to Jan. All right. Ed, welcome.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: The last professional. Tell me about it.
1: Well, it started in a boxcar over 40 years ago. Um, The idea for the book over 40 years ago? I started writing it over 40 years ago in a boxcar.
0: Oh, yeah. We got to talk. Let's go. Come on. So so here you are. uh, I'm assuming paper, pencil.
1: Exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, it, oh, it's it a, a 29 cent big ballpoint pen, the best they write anywhere, and a spiral notebook.
0: Oh, um, love it. Love yeah, it.
1: I, I got really started as a writer uh as an outgrowth of traveling. Uh I would I needed to get to New York. A friend and I, this was 1972. 1971. A friend and I uh, were going to New York to fly to Scotland. He was trying to find his father, his ancestral home. Um, In those days, you could get a $200 ticket that you could use any time to go from Kennedy Airport to Heathrow and back. And so we said, okay, all we got to do is get to New York. How are we going to do it? I'm a big guy. I'm six foot Paul, my friend was six foot four. We had gigantic army surplus backpacks on. We were going to hitchhike. Right. Oh, man. Uh, And we got no rides. I mean, it was we were just too darn big. And so finally, a guy took pity on us, pulled us over. He had a van. He said, look, you guys are never going to get a ride. Why aren't you riding freight trains? And we just well, we didn't even know that was a thing. He had done it before, and so he gave us some tips. He dropped us off at a Railroad Yard in Eugene, Oregon. Half an hour later, we were on a flat car heading for Portland. Beautiful sunny day, views everywhere, wind in our I was hooked. I never looked back. Oh, wow. Um, and so then I rode. Uh, Paul and I split up. We got to New York uh, separately, but I rode all across Canada by myself. Um, And I was newly in love with wife Jan at that time. And so I was writing her letters. So there was this combination of figuring out, boy, this is an incredible way to see and experience the country and to meet people. I can write about it. And I happen to be in love at the same time. And yeah. so those three things together created, it was like alchemy. It created this new thing that I've wanted more of ever since. That's how I got started writing.
0: Uh, the passion of writing and where it is
1: birthed. You bet. You bet. And, and so then for about 10 years before we had kids, uh, whenever I wanted to travel someplace for fun, um, I would take a freight train. Jan and I actually went across Canada the next summer. So mm-hmm. it it I mean, the things you do for love. Uh, and,
0: adventurer spirit holding hands across absolutely. the world.
1: Absolutely. Like,
0: so love letters. Yeah. Fiction, memoir. like what? What is it about the writing for you that just feels like home no matter where you are?
1: Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting you say that. And that um, whenever I travel, and I've traveled a lot. I always write. Uh, I don't have to travel to write. But boy, when I'm traveling, I like to write because it's a way of internalizing and capturing and understanding the experience Mm -hmm. that it's sort of like you're seeing it through a different lens uh, and you're seeing yourself through a different lens. I think our perceptions of ourselves are never better than when we're seen against an unfamiliar backdrop. Mm -hmm. And and so, for, for me, writing is a way to experience travel at a whole new level. Um, and, and
0: imagery and sensory and yeah. experience. How about dialogue? Interesting dialogue, I bet.
1: Oh, boy. But, yeah. Oh. Well, it, it, and it, it's the, fortunately, I was writing at a time when the old time hobos, there were still some left. And a a, a little history lesson here, there were hundreds of thousands of guys riding the trains during the depression. Um, It was what you did if your family was too big, if there was no work at home, uh, you hit the rails. And unlike now, about 95% of the country was within five miles of a train track. Not <laughs> unlike where you grew up.
0: Yeah, it, right it was, across the street. I mean, the house rattled and shake like it would shake. Yeah, e-
1: exactly. And, and yeah. so it's a little bit like the internet, except 100 years earlier. It was this thing where people who had, many of them lived within walking distance of where they were born their whole lives. Suddenly the trains showed up and you could walk five miles, get in a train, and it would take you anywhere. And so it was really a vibrant lifestyle. And there were kind of three categories of people who did it. There were, uh, let's say the designations are that uh, uh, hobos worked and wondered, tramps just wondered, and bums didn't do either. And, <laughs> and so the hobos were guys who did it as an avocation. They, it, it fed their wanderlust. It was, a, I mean, sort of like people who are mountain climbers now or who walk the Appalachian Trail once a year or who surf every day. It's a way to relate to yourself and to your surroundings. So I had a chance to, to actually be with some of these guys at the very end of their era. Uh, they were old. There weren't very many of them. And getting back to dialogue, boy, they didn't say much.
0: Oh, um, it, I was thinking storytelling.
1: Well, interestingly, they would if you'd ask them about riding trains. That was what it. they knew. What, what they, they, knew. they knew. Yeah. What they
0: knew.
1: Yeah, they were there. Other than that, pretty taciturn, pretty uh, you know, pretty self-contained. Um, don't bother me, I won't bother you. But ask them how to catch a boxcar, ask them where the right place is to ride on a and suddenly they would they would share this information with you. So it was like opening up a window to a whole era and a way of life that I found amazingly attractive.
0: Right. So for me, I'm still thinking about Jan, okay? <laughs> I'm still, I have to bring Jan up in this. I'm sorry, Ann. I have to, like, y'all go together. Yeah. Like, I just imagine her in this experience with you, Like, wow, what a partner that you found.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: just what that kind of support for you, too, with your writing as well. Because, you know, how does that feel for you to know that Jan is such a champion for you?
1: Well, it's it's a great question. And my favorite quote about that is from Stephen King, um, who basically said, you don't need somebody to make speeches for you. You don't need somebody to, to read every word and tell you it's great. You just need somebody in your corner. You just need somebody who believes in you and supports you. That's really enough. And I think a lot of writers will start out saying that they really want, they want a champion. They want somebody who's going to read every word and help them make it perfect and do all... Well, that's wonderful if you find that. Uh, Jack London, who is one of my favorite writers, and his home is just a couple of miles from here in California. His wife, Charmian, was that for him. She transcribed everything he wrote. She actually contributed some. So they were a real a pair. I think that's rare. And I think more important and maybe more valuable is having support for the thing you do. And your love of it, not necessarily for the writing itself, but for for the role it plays in your life. And Jan has been that for me from the start.
0: Yeah. I have a, I have Eli in my life. My husband is just amazing when it comes to my writing space and uh, he puts up with all of it. And sometimes I'll tell him stories. He's like, wait, is this a real person or is this a book? Like, what are we talking about here? But he's like, he's such a great prayer partner and support system for me. Just, I can't imagine it. That's what I don't know. I've been thinking about Jan yeah. since I first knew that you were going to be on the show and I could just, you know, you guys have been married such a long time—forty-five
1: years. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And and knowing now that you've that you're the author, you know you've you know part of your bio that caught my interest. You know, then you moved, then you're businessman, then you're you know author, and all of that. Tell me some of the highlights throughout your story when it came to publication. Like I love to hear like highlights
1: because sure. you're talking
0: forty years, Ed.
1: And, and the business and the world has changed since I started, Um, you know, so I first began the first novel I circulated was this one was the last professional in a very early form. And those were the days. You don't have to tell me how old you are, but I think prior to when you were born.
0: I'm 46. But, I don't mind. Yeah, okay. o- almost the yeah. same time. Yeah.
1: So back then there was there was no such thing as simultaneous submissions. You simply couldn't do it. It was all there were no computers. There were no fax machines. Uh, and so you submitted in writing. You always submitted uh Self-addressed stamped envelope, an SASE, and so I had written this novel that I started in in a box car. I was very proud of it. I had shared it with some people who seemed to like what I'd done, and so you know, I wrote to an agent and waited four months to hear no. And I wrote for another agent and waited four months to hear no.
0: There's and your forty I, years, Ed. Oh my god! <laughs>
1: and, and so then I said, "Well, I know you're not supposed to do simultaneous submissions, but I'm going to do it." And so I, I picked the 10 agents that I thought would be the best. And in those days you could still submit directly to the publishers. And it wasn't the big five. Then it was the big 10 you could submit to them. And occasionally one would sneak through, but mostly you had to be agented or you weren't going to get anywhere. So I picked the 10 best agents based upon um uh, uh, writer's guide and all of the research I could do at the library because uh-huh. you couldn't go to the internet. And Boy, the you know I got one no, and then the second one I got was a yes from an agency uh, in Madison Avenue in New York. Is okay, signed up. Away I went. The next one I got back was from Gene Nagar, whose biggest client yeah. was Gene All, who had just written *Clan of the Cave Bear* the year before. Yeah,
0: I yeah I know that agency too. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so here I am. I've just signed up with this little house that thank god they liked me and i had to write this letter to gene and say you know i i goofed up i submitted to two people i signed with somebody else so it that's one of those stories that sort of teaches you patience i guess uh that you can't unring a bell you know i don't know what would have happened had i done with gene with someone else but but that was the experience finally i ended up with a great agency out of chicago um uh, her name was Jane Jordan Brown. Jane is a legend in publishing and she took me in. I she represented two or three books. We could never make a connection. We just couldn't find a home for it. Uh-huh. Um, and so and I had a young family, I had to go to work. You know, I Jan supported me writing full time. I had been fairly successful in business up to when we had kids. So we had a little money. I think we scraped together 15000 bucks. And I retired for a year at age 28, so I could write full time. But at the end of that, I had to go back to work. And uh, so I I sort of compare my story to, if you're familiar with The Natural, the uh, Bernard Malmoud baseball story or or the the Robert Redford movie about the baseball player. Yeah. Yeah. So he's this young gifted player. Something happens. He has to set it aside and he comes back to the game 20 years later. And that's what I feel like I've done. Is I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm finally back in the big leagues where I wanted to be.
0: Uh, I look at it as God's timing, all oh, in the right go. timing. Just <laughs> when that timing hits, and and then it's all right, and it all falls in. And so now you feel like you're here, you've Absolutely. arrived, you're there.
1: Absolutely.
0: Oh, so how does that feeling compare from that roller coaster <laughs> of it the past?
1: Feels great. I, I mean, and with everything that comes with it, you know, you. I think every writer just wants people to love what they write. You just want to connect and you want to share. Not everybody's going to, but boy, it feels good when someone does. When people who make their livings doing this, who live in the literary environment, tell you you've done something right, when they tell you you've connected with them, that feels pretty darn good. And Um, you've
0: always had Jan there telling you, so you've had your corner.
1: Absolutely. Now you've got your room. Yeah.
0: Now you've got your room. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so now, so now this whole, this whole life for you, you're just going around promoting podcasting spots. Like how is that rush? How's that been going?
1: Well, it, it, it's a trip. Um, and again, for the aspiring writers who are listening, the world's changed completely since I started 40 years ago. Um, And because, and and I know you've written about your Monarch method. I know you've written encouraging people and giving them guides about how to write the, when I started getting an agent and getting a publisher was actually achievable. Um, There were, you know, I don't know, were there two or 300 books released a day. Now, according to Publishers Weekly, there are 5,000 books released every day, every day. And so independent publishing has made that possible for us. That's how I got my first book published. I did it myself. It felt great. It was so satisfying. But you come to understand if you're trying to reach a wider audience, you've got to try to dip your toe into the mainstream. You've got to get there somehow. Uh, at one point, I even considered starting my own publishing company. Ah. I said, well, "Okay, I'll do it." And you've done this as well. That's
0: what I'm doing. Yep, that's it. Yeah. We have Monarch. That's all yeah.
1: right. And because I kept running into the barriers to reaching a wider audience, and I one of the barriers you may have surmounted now that uh, was unknown to me. Was, okay. I want to reach a wider audience. How do I do that? Well, I've got to get eligibility to mainstream reviews. How do I do that? Well, I have to have the credibility of a distributor behind me. I can't self distribute who's going to. So I contacted every distributor on the planet and they all basically said, come back to us when you have a publishing company.
0: Yeah. And then when you have a number of titles under your belt, then you have to start here and then apply when you get 10. And then when you do. Yeah. Like, I mean, safeguards are there and I respect the protocol and the safeguard. But there are like for publishing companies that truly want to just tell stories that matter like like we have like. Yeah. Our heart is there. We'll continue to work towards those goals, though, and it'll come to happen.
1: Yeah. So 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 where I where I've arrived at is I said, well, what I've got to do is I've got to find a small publisher that has that established that they they have a track record, they have distribution and someone who will my work will resonate with. And so thank goodness for the Internet. Uh, I spent a lot of time researching and I reached out to uh, a a house that is, has been a perfect fit Artemisia out of Albuquerque. So, but what it means is that I don't have Simon and Schuster behind me. Um, And so I've, I've had to put together what looks like a publishing company and the publisher (laughs) is one piece of that. And so I've got a PR firm, I've got a social media firm, I've got an advertising firm, I've got an illustrator, I've got. And so all of those elements, if you want to reach a wider audience, you got to have them. And fortunately, I'm in a position where I can afford to fund this now to really give the book a chance to read the audience, to reach the audience. I hope it will. Yeah, it takes a village. Boy, does it ever. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) And just great teams around you. Great yes. teams of support.
1: Yes. Yes. One of the things that's been, I'm not sure discouraging, but in, but it's worth paying attention to is because of the proliferation of independent publishing, there are an awful lot of people who will purport to get you from A to B for a fee. Um, there are a lot of experts. And I think one has to have their eyes wide open. Oh, yeah. I'm,
0: Discernment I'm sure. is key. Yeah. Yeah. Discernment yeah. is key, but also I want to bring back that word patience again. Yeah. Because you don't just jump on the first
1: right.
0: you know poster that catches your eye that says yeah. this is this is the way, this is the one. You got to be patient. And how is that, though, like understanding that credibility and and filling things out? What did you look for when you were building your team around you? Because I think that could be a very valuable lesson that people could take
1: from you. And and it's a great question. Um, I'll use the PR firm as an example. Uh, There are 100 people who will do PR for you as as a writer. I was able to find some resources through the industry publications, through Publishers Weekly, um, through other places where it said, well, here are the 20 top PR firms working right now. Okay, well, so that sorted the the field for me a bit. And then I put together real careful uh, presentations to each of those, and I watched what came back. And some of the stuff that came back was perfunctory. It was it was a form letter. And I said, well, okay, these I'm not sure these people are really paying attention. But the people I ended up with who were my first choice, thank goodness, they got back to me immediately, said, send the book. We want to read it. And there was an immediate connection. And the same has been true with the advertising firm, absolutely true with the illustrator, with the uh, social media folks. And... You want to do some research in terms yes. of, okay, who are the other customers? Who are your previous clients? How are you know? How have things been with them and what were their goals? And, and I think understanding, you know, somebody asked me what my 10 writing tips were and one of the things I've been preparing for all the PR. And I think the very first one is to figure out who you're writing for. Um, oh, definitely.
0: That's number and, one. and again, your why, which I think that you've established, you've had those you know, the the why has to be there. The audience yes. has to be there. And then I like how you brought up, you know, checking out those goals, like yeah. knowing yeah. what your goals are. Did you actually spend time like writing those, like
1: yeah,
0: really just writing them out? Like what was your process to know what you wanted your end result to be?
1: Well, it's my I mean, I grew up admiring the great American authors of the last century, Uh, Steinbeck, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Harper Lee. Those are my people. Um, Kerouac, absolutely. A little later era. And so my ideal for me is to aspire to the level of connection with my readers that they had with theirs. And so to get that, I've got to be able to reach people. And The first book I self-published was a collection of travel pieces. I'm very proud of it, but it was really just for me and family and friends. It felt great. And and I hope people who are watching this get that. That's a perfectly acceptable, laudable goal. To see your work in print between covers is, is, it's a gift. And, And it's one I hope that every writer gets a chance to experience. So my first three books were self-published, and I and I got a lot from them and I got a lot of praise from them. But I realized where I want to go is I want I want to broaden that audience. I want to I want to share my work with a wider audience. And so that's what led me. So how do I do that? And I want to build a platform for the work that's yet to come. I've got a novel and a collection of short stories mm-hmm. ready to go.
0: Oh, ready to go, like completely through your cycles.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and, and so, but Uh, You know about book scan, you know about it's in order to go from A to B, you've got to establish a platform, which, you know, social media outreach, I've done all of that. But really, if if a larger publisher is going to look at you or if the same publisher you're with wants to publish again, they're going to want to see hard data about how well you did. And book scans the measure. And so if you can perform well with book number one, there's a chance that book number two will actually find an audience, a home, more budget, more reception.
0: I really loved what you said about when you published your first, you knew who it was for. There again, target audience, you knew, and you felt so joyful about it. It was wonderful. Family, friends, it served its purpose. It had its place. You gave it a place to live
1: and I'll tell you the story about it because I think your folks will like it. I did it in secret. Um, I had a friend um, who's been a reader and we'll talk about readers. She's been an early reader forever. And I said, you know, I wanna do a collection of my travel writing and give it to Jan as a present. And I don't want her to know about it.
0: Oh, Jan.
1: And so we did this in secret We published the thing. I couldn't use my own credit cards. I had to have my friend at work charge it. I mean, and so it's Christmas morning and I have presents. I have for Jan and my son and daughter and their spouses, and they all get to open the book that's dedicated to Jan. So, I mean, so if I never sold a copy of it, it fulfilled its goal.
0: Okay. Okay. This just is makes my heart even two sizes too big. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Well, and good. then, and then we talk about reception and, and being well received. Yeah. Yeah. How was that feeling? That satisfaction and it and, and
1: have it, having? Oh yeah. It was just wonderful, um, yeah. and it 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 makes you want more. I mean, that's or, or it made. I guess I, I think you used, always had it. I always knew
0: you always yeah. had it. Yeah. And I think that each book in each place has its own pathway.
1: Yeah. yeah. It has its
0: own rails.
1: Yep. Yep. And I now this one it.
0: has, and this one has its own, you know, its own track to go and, and yeah. good luck with everything. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: So yeah. what are you looking forward to the most?
1: Oh boy. Um, well, I'm going to do, and this will be really fun. The book releases at the end of January, and we're going to do a series of Amtrak book tours. Um,
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, that's on my bucket list. It's not to ride the boxcar. It's not to ride a boxcar. It's to actually ride an Amtrak. Can you believe you that go. that's on my bucket list to do? Mm-hmm. Well, we got to take
1: care of that. We like, gotta make yeah, that
0: happen. it's on my bucket list, but go, you, you're going to set it up and you're yeah. going to do the Amtrak. Oh, man. Talk this out. Talk it out. I want to yeah. hear it.
1: Well, so the first one will be in the West Coast, probably in February or March, because the weather will be good. It'll start in San Diego and in Seattle. <sighs> and we'll book uh, bookstore events um, all along the way, wherever we can. And then that's a, a nice way to connect with booksellers. I was just at a booksellers conference in Denver. And you never met nicer people than booksellers. Uh, and it was, this was the first in-person event they'd done in two years. And they're just oh. hungry for connection. It was wonderful to do that. So I'm pretty sure by spring, the pandemic will be at a level where people are feeling comfortable to come out uh, to public events. And so that's the idea. We'll, we'll do that. I think there'll be an event, um, the Beat Museum in San Francisco, it's a museum dedicated to the Beat Generation writers that they're gonna do an event for me. Uh, which will be really fun. They've given me a great quote, and uh, so we'll do that. And then I'll go anywhere in the country where people want to talk to me. I love all to right. ride trains, and we'll just schedule it and do it. So love that's it.
0: Be- that is just amazing. That is something to look forward to, man. I was just thinking, like, let's talk next book stuff. You're talking about ride trains, going to bookstores, <laughs> setting it all up. So excited for y'all. Be be it really will fun. be, yeah. but it'll be like just the fruits of the labor, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah and it, it's, interestingly, it's another way to share it, it's Oh Yeah. Easier. Connect. It's a way to get to share that experience.
0: It's Connect. You got to take plenty of video. You got to take plenty of pictures. Next thing you know, you're going to be making a documentary on these experiences.
1: Works, works for me.
0: You're going to put it all together. And that's going to be on all those social media sites you've got going on. And, and yeah. you know, we would love to be able to experience that with you.
1: Well, you're welcome to come along.
0: So we can with video, thankfully. (laughs) hey, We couldn't have done that 40 years ago. You talk about climate has changed with the way that we can reach people. Like, look at us, Ed. We're sitting and having just a great conversation about books and life. And,
1: and, you know, it's one of the things social media gets them. It's a mixed bag. Um, It gets a bad rap sometimes. I love it. Without Facebook and, and Facebook. Facebook, again, is a pretty mixed bag. I have met so many great writers uh, and I have developed really great connections with people that are meaningful to me that simply would not have been possible without that, just like what we're doing here.
0: Exactly, love it. So, last words of wisdom before we have to sign off here this evening, Ed. Tell us some words of wisdom. I know, I know. Uh,
1: Well, it's a uh, find my, my number one tip for a successful writer is to find an exceptional editor um and it it jan's,
0: yep.
1: jan's not my editor and 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 i'm i'm guessing that, nope. that yeah i have a you team gotta, yeah <laughs> you got to find and pay for it don't settle on the first one get somebody who understands what you're trying to do and this may sound a little weird, but get somebody who keeps their ego out of it. Uh, I've had editors who were trying to prove to me that they were good writers, that's not doing me any good. I, I, need a, I need an editor who sees things in me that I don't see myself and can help them come out. So that's my number one tip. Whatever it costs you, get a good editor.
0: And then there we go. I was just in a panel discussion over the weekend and the questions in the audience, they were saying, well, how do you find those editors and how do you find those teams? I love, you know, go to sources that have already been vetted. Do your research, do your homework.
1: And, and, and I'll tell you how I found mine. A group of friends and I were once a week getting together to watch classic movies. And uh, he, the fellow was just an acquaintance. He was one of the group. And he was responding to the movies the same way I was, but he was seeing themes in them and picking up things that I wasn't. Turned out uh, he had an English lit background We and he's been great. I could not be the writer I am without him. That Again, woman,
0: timing, yeah. timing, place, yeah, opportunity, but yep. just being eyes wide open to see it.
1: Yeah, absolutely true.
0: To be able to see it. Awesome. So, Ed, I want to thank you so much for joining us today here. I want you to go and give Jan a big hug from me from North Carolina will do tell, tell her thanks for letting you spend some time with me today
1: you bet this has been an absolute treat thanks so much for having yeah
0: me. hey guys you got to check it out you can go listen to the podcast on your way check out our video that we've got up on youtube it's going to be all out and just to, uh wherever you're listening to podcasts it's going to be there so i hope that y'all have a blessed day and i'll talk to you later thanks ed thanks so much